Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going down? Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of What's Going Down here on ITRWrestling.com or wherever you get your podcasts, we appreciate you downloading and listening to us. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. F. Martin Finn. How are you today this gloriously sunny Tuesday? Kenny, I'm doing well. I finished my magazine contributions yesterday, last night at about 20 past nine. Mm-hmm. It was about a 13-hour day. Wow. I mean, you know, that's that's not a long day for a man of my distinction and my track record, as people probably know. So, um, but to, yeah, finish my news section for the magazine yesterday. That's always the last thing you do, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, feeling pretty good. I watched Backlash, I watched Raw, and looking forward to discussing them here on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've, uh, yeah, I'm. I'm uh... I'm actually going on holiday next month with uh, with Ollie. Uh, well, not 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 as a gay couple or anything, but uh, he's bringing his other half. I'm bringing mine. We're going to uh, Gran Canaria for a week, so that should be fun. So uh, I'm going to do my best, Finn, to not do any work for that full week. Oh, really? What week is that? This is news to me. I know. I don't. I, I realized because I realized today I was like, I should probably start making plans. So it's the week of June the 14th to June the 21st. Okay. So, but what we might do is we'll maybe do a wee pre-record of the what's going down that first week in Power Slam, make it little historical shows or something, so people have got some content to consume. Um, so we might only miss one, you know, what's going down or something. But, uh, but yeah, my first first time I've been in a sunny holiday in ten years. Wow, I think so. Um, Never yeah, been there. I bet went to Tenerife in. 1987 I think it was so that was my third foreign holiday first one was skiing in Switzerland with school second one was Mallorca when I was 16 and third one was Tenerife but never been to Gran Canaria but Tenerife was nice well, it's funny. My my mum was over the other day, and she 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 likes to watch trash TV. I mean, so do I to some extent. I mean, she was so on on Apple TV. You've got all the apps that kind of show up, and one of the apps that I I must have downloaded at some point for some reason. I don't know why was My Five, the Channel Five one. 
Oh, yeah, never, I know the one you mean, yep. Never use it, never really watch it on Channel 5, but I came in because I was doing some work. Um, and you were doing some work, Kenny? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I was probably podcasting with you or Sandra. That's most of my, most of my work. Um, and I came back in the room and my mum was watching this show and I sit down and I'm kind of like, trying to figure out what it is and it was bargain brits in spain and it was just this awful show where you got all these expats who live in spain they have zero desire to learn any of the language at the place they live in and they just faff about all day and then and then and then at night there's a drag show with perform, I mean, the word performer is a is a very kind statement to what these people were trying to do, and everybody's lapping up. You know, if, if it was it was the holiday equivalent of watching a young bucks match. You're going, what does everybody see? I don't. You know, so well, that's um, the dream when you retire. You don't want to have to do anything. You just want to faff around in the garden or you know, make her balls up of mending something. And it gives you something to do. I mean, and, and if it's something to do that doesn't require spending too much money, that's a good thing as well. Well, let's face it, they're just there because it's warm. That's yeah. why they're there, because exactly. it's warm. And, you know, you'll know this, Kenny, when you get a bit older. You know, the older you get, the more you feel the cold. <laughs> I mean, what? Well, let's not age ourselves too much here, Finn. You still got. You st- I mean, you you're you're not even the age where Vince McMahon won the WWF Championship yet. Well, that's true. That's true. I'm not. But uh, sure. but yeah, you're right about Channel Five. There is some trash on there, and certainly is on the My Five app as well. Um, but uh, you know, these people, if they're happy over there, Kenny, who are we to say they're wrong? You know, at least they're probably not spending all the time complaining. You know, there's a lot of people in this country who could maybe take a leaf out of their book, you know, and stop whining all the time. I'm starting to sound like Lord Sugar, aren't I? Let's move on. Let's move on to the wrestling. Let's let's move on to the wrestling before you fire me. Um, (laughs) WrestleMania Backlash is the first one we're going to talk about. Um, So let's just jump right in. So we opened the show with Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins, the rematch from WrestleMania. Um, they ended up going uh, just over 20 minutes. Um, very good in-ring match. Uh, and the finish was that Cody was... Basically, Seth uh, rolled up Cody and held the tights, but Cody rolled through it and then held Seth's tights to get the three count. They'd kicked out some finishers before it. Crowd in the arena uh, ate it up, and Cody got the second win in a row over Seth Rollins. What did you make of this opener and this as a follow-up to their WrestleMania match? Well, I mean, I think the the finish, um, as soon as it occurred, was like, yes, there will be a rematch, just as you predicted, at Hell in a Cell on June the 5th, probably in the Hell in a Cell cage. Um, I mean, it was the right outcome. We both, I think, predicted, and we, in fact, we both did predict uh, that Cody Rhodes would win the rematch. It was the right decision. I think the finish was the right decision as well, with Cody beating Seth at his you know, own scurrilous game, you know, using skullduggery to score the win. Uh, I enjoyed the match, thought it was very well done. Audience was, was into it really from the opening bell, very competitive. Um, lots of counters, counters are plenty. Um, Rollins kicked out a Cody Cutter, Cody kicked out a Falcon Arrow. Uh, Rhodes kicked out of Frog Splash. You know, fans were breathless. You know, it was, it was, yeah, it was, I thought it was a really, you know, magnificent opener, really. I mean, it was, it did everything it was supposed to do. I don't think they did that much that they burnt the crowd out. And I think they did the, they made the right decision uh, putting Bobby Lashley and Omas on next in a very different match. Um, that is, you know, the, uh, something that WWE generally does well is the structuring of a show. So that if they're opening the show with a high-energy, action-packed, lengthy match, the next match will be very different from the match that preceded it, which is the way that a, ma- a, way that a show should be structured so you don't burn out your audience. Um, but, yeah, everything about it, I think, was um, was pretty much perfectly done i thought it was a1 i thought the the, the, the all technical specifications were were first class i mean you couldn't have really asked much more i don't think from cody Rhodes and seth rollins i think that was 
you know, we've obviously seen better matches, but for the position of, on the card, what it was supposed to achieve, and it being the second of three matches in what will presumably be a three premium live event program, I don't think you, uh, I don't think you could have asked for any more. I thought it was it was very well done. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would agree. I think that the, the the one thing in this match that I think was <clears throat> that I wanted to bring up was I think there was a lot of kickouts to big moves, but whenever moves were kicked out of, they would still be selling what the move yes. was that they had received. Absolutely. And, and that's I mean, an important distinction, right? A continuous flow. There's a, there's a thread there. It's not like big move, you know, you know, and just sprint into the next big move. And the thing about it is the difference between a match that's done for the performance and a match that's, 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 uh, that's done for the emotion. And I think that's the difference between matches that really stay with you and matches that you forget very quickly. And this was a match that, yeah, did have a lot of big moves, a lot of kickouts, possibly maybe one or two too many. But I think the selling and, you know, just the emotion in there and, the you know, the, the impression that both men were just worn down, fatigued, and were just fighting for the victory, uh, that was very strong. That was impressed upon us throughout the match. Um, and that, to me, is the difference between a match that's really done for a performance, for a cheap pop, and a match that's really done to create an emotional or leave an emotional impact upon its audience. And, um, you know, as part of a longer story, which this obviously was. But, yeah, very well done. And I've got to say, Kenny, you know, I was I had a lot of questions about Cody Rhodes before he returned to WWE. And, um, you know, he's, he's served me up another big plate of humble pie, which, you know, I'm just making my way, th- my way through at the moment. And it's not tasting great. <laughs> I agree, because I remember, the, you know, the, one of the last conversations we had before he debuted at WrestleMania, so it must have been right before it. And you talked about, you know, the, what he just did in AEW, you know, creating uh, being part of creating that company and doing that whole revolution might be the biggest thing he ever does. So, you know, he's kind of taken that risk that now he comes in, what's this next chapter going to be like? And I think what he's managed to do really well is he's playing the Cody character, but he's endearing himself to people in a lot of ways. Like, even in the the WWE.com digital exclusive interview that he did after this match, he referenced Botchamania in the clip because they were in the Dunkin' Donuts Centre and he... I, I do not know this because I don't remember the Botchmania episode, but apparently there was a famous, terrible match that Cody was in, a six-man tag on SmackDown from like 2011 um, in the dunk or something like that. And, that was, and that's, that was kind of one of the references. And he mentioned that in the interview. And it's stuff like that where he sort of brings people in a little bit more than a lot of other wrestlers are allowed to bring in. And I think that people like that. People like that he kind of is able to break the fourth wall a little bit. So he's doing well and hopefully, hopefully they keep up with it. Keep yeah, he, he really comes across as very humble. I mean, he comes across as the everyman. He comes across as the guy who's done good, that he's relatable, isn't he? He comes across as somebody who's not a big star with a huge ego. Um, and I think that was a problem he had in AEW, particularly with that big entourage and all the bells and whistles in the entrance. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think the audience felt that he was really connecting with them anymore. It was as if he was presented in a way as that he was above them. And it's the reverse here in WWE. And it's been an amazing turnaround for him. The difference between what he did and how he was received in AEW and what he's doing and he's now received in WWE. And, um, you know, I think, you know, equal, equally it's WWE and their presentation of him that has helped. But I think Cody has just found a way, as you said, to endear himself to people. And he just comes across as somebody that if you, you know, you ran into him, you know, in the street and spoke to him, he'd have time for you. He'd want to speak to you, be interested in what you had to say. It doesn't matter whether he would be, but we Hmm. believe he would be. And that's the message that I think he's communicating and doing so very successfully. And uh, yeah, he's totally reinvented himself. So good for him and, um, you know, good for WWE as well. Uh, then we had Bobby Lashley taking on Omas in the rematch from WrestleMania. And this time, Omas was able to defeat Bobby Lashley uh, with the help from MVP Kane shot. Uh, Omas's selling in this was dire, uh, but almost to a point of comedy. 
Yeah, um, I, I detected that there was quite a few Cali-esque moments. <laughs> there was. I mean, to call this good would be a lie, but I think that Bobby Lashley pretty much did all that he could here to try and make it as bearable an experience for us as possible. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, it always amuses me the way they film all masks on the way to the ring. It's like that classic, you know, they used to do it for Sid when he was in the skyscrapers in WCW, you know, they've got a camera and making him look even bigger than he is. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of hesitancy here from Omas, poor selling. Um, it just felt like he didn't really know what he was doing. I mean, he was all right when he was on offense, but when it was time for Lashley to make his comebacks, Omas was sort of not really in position for certain things, didn't seem to really know how to take certain blows or moves. I mean, the audience, their enthusiasm for Lashley uh, did dim at times, but Lashley did manage to pump the audience back up again for his comebacks. And they were actually, they were behind Lashley um, at various points in the match. Um, even if artistically the match was a bit of a flop. Um, I think the finish was as it should have been. Um, Omas uh, kneed Lashley as Lashley went for the spear. Then MVP drilled Lashley with a cane. And then uh, Omas scored the pin shortly afterwards. I've written here in my notes, Kenny, I fear this will lead to a rematch. And that was confirmed on Raw that there will be a rematch next week on Raw in a steel cage. And I'm hoping that that draws a line under this program. Yeah, I mean, at least it's not going to be dragging onto hell in a cell. I one hope, would imagine. I hope not, and uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Omas has got himself in shape. If you look at his muscle definition, he's really been working hard. I think he's taking it seriously um, in certain respects, but I'm not sure if he's really getting it in terms of being a singles player. He's someone I think who could probably do all right in a tag team. But as far as singles match go, singles matches go, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be able to really, you know, function to the required standard as a solo artist. Maybe he will. Maybe, you know, that light bulb will go off at some point. But at this moment in time, it's um, very much smoke and, smoke and mirrors. He's being carried by everyone around him. Um, yeah, I would agree. Uh, hopefully, I mean, do, do you think Omas is going to win the feud or do you think Lashley wins the feud? No, it's got to be Lashley. Lashley will win in the cage match next week. I'm convinced of that. Um, I think they know that, you know, that they've got someone who sort of looks like a star and maybe if he'd come along like 25, 30 years ago, then they could have done so much more with him than they will be able to in 2022. Um, I mean, may, maybe he'll do so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I don't think he should be booked in singles matches. I think they should um, find a partner for him. I mean, not Cedric Alexander, <laughs> please. <laughs> no one's going to be able to take that seriously, but they should find a partner for him. And I think in a tag team, I think he can provide value for money and he also can learn. And if he's going to, if he's going to get it, if he's going to make it as a singles player long-term, that can be facilitated by, you know, another tag team run with someone who's more experienced and better at it than he is right now. Uh, well, then we had, we continue with the rematches here with Edge versus AJ Styles. They did have a shorter match this time, which is good because there was less of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if maybe I'm just, maybe these kind of matches aren't for me. I just feel like there was something missing from this again. And to me, only really, my interest was only really peaked when Damian Priest and Finn Balor got involved near the end. I, I just couldn't get into this match, but I'm, I'm wondering if I'm on a hill on my own there, Finn. Well, I mean, I'm trying to work this one out. And I mean, Edge, is, Edge was always better as a heel in the late, you know, between 2006, 2009, his glory years. Yeah, that was um, his peak as a, as a character. Yeah, he was better as a heel than he was as a face. Well, I mean, I don't know whether people want to boo him. I mean, he's trying really hard. 
to provoke that that heel heat, that anger, that rage from audiences. You know, and he's got he's he's having to resort to 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 cheap heat boulevard. I mean, he's having to use all <laughs> the cheap heat to elicit those jeers from the audience. I mean, he's having to take the low road. Let's be honest to uh, to get people to boo him. But maybe it's just that simple. Because I mean, prior to this feud, AJ Styles was really over. I mean, he didn't even really do a proper babyface turn, but people just wanted to cheer him because they respect him because he's a veteran. They know, you know, how good he is. When he was a heel with Omas, he was sending himself up and people were entertained by him. So, I mean, I'm, I can't blame AJ Styles for this. You know, and I like Edge, you know, huge fan of his dating back, you know, to more than 15 years. But I mean, maybe this heel character is, is, the, uh, is, the, is the problem here. Maybe this is the roadblock. Maybe this is the reason why this just isn't working. But, I mean, it wasn't a bad match. I mean, I think it was better than the WrestleMania match. Um, but you're right. It just, it, I mean, it, they did. They made the correct decision booking it in the middle of the card. I'm glad they didn't think of putting this one on last, you know, or anything like that. And, I mean, if you remember when Edge came back, Edge came back a few years ago, people were talking about him as a, as a main eventer. I mean, Seth Rollins and Edge, their feud, that could have main evented, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely worthy of main events. But Edge and AJ Styles, and these are both, you know, obviously AJ Styles, that would, I would say is, if not as good as Seth Rollins, almost as good. Some people would say better than Seth Rollins, but they're definitely in the same ballpark. Um, this, is, this just feels like a mid-level feud that's just not really firing on all cylinders. But yeah, maybe it's just as simple as, People do not want to boo Edge, no matter how hard he tries. Um, and I'm with you until Damien Priest came out in the aisle. It was pointed out that he wasn't allowed at ringside, but he didn't reach the ringside area. He was still in the aisle and he was in the aisle and Finn Balor ran out um, and he attacked Damien Priest. The referee was distracted and then a mass figure uh, knocked AJ Styles off the top rope um, and then Edge um applied like a cross face and like a choke and uh he won by ref stoppage obviously aj styles wasn't going to tap out top guys don't tap out we know that mm -hmm. and uh, top performers don't tap out so edge won the match um and then afterwards baron saxton on commentary of the mass figure when this person entered the ring and you know, bended the knee to edge. Saxton said, who is he? When it was obviously female and it was Rhea Ripley. So I think that was probably the best thing about this match. Rhea Ripley joining forces with Edge and Damian Priest. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it, when I watched Backlash earlier that day, I'd been watching Retro Smackdown for uh, Sandra and I talking about it on Patreon. It was the main 9th 2002 edition of Smackdown. And on that episode... Um, Edge goes into Hollywood Hogan's dressing room and puts on the feather boas and the bandana and imitates Hogan in the mirror. And he and then he teams with him in the main event and Edge is giddy that he's with Hogan. And it was funny to be watching that and then later that night watching Rhea Ripley being giddy because she gets to team with Edge. <laughs> so he's like on the opposite end of what used to be what he was on 20 years ago. So it was a kind of cool visual to see. She, I mean... She, Rhea Ripley was just must have been looking, going, "Thank God, I've been." Because no matter, even if Edge bores you to death with promos, her association with the faction is going to do wonders for Rhea Ripley. And this should be the beginning of, and this is to all companies, WWE, AEW, women should be in more groups with yes. with men and interacting with them and making them feel like a bigger deal. Because it, it, I think it will do wonders for Rhea specifically. Yeah, definitely. The faction is called The Judgment Day. The Judgment Day. It's not Judgment Day, it's The Judgment Day. That's Edge, Priest and Rhea Ripley. I'm not really sure about the name, Kenny. What do you think of the name? Well, I mean, people like us, we're just so used to Judgment Day, the pay-per-view. So it's like I was, I was, I was uh, reading something this morning. It's going to be in the next magazine. It was the, on the Backlash review and Judgment Day was said. And I immediately just think of the pay-per-view. So I think it's confusing to long-term people like us. But you know what? Maybe the, the youths of today, they don't even think about Judgment Day, the pay-per-view. You're probably right. They you are probably know. right about that. We're just the old fogies in the corner. Anyway, so Rhea Ripley, good for her. She's with uh, Edge and crew. And uh, I'm sure she'll do well. But up next, Finn, 
the shocker of the night. Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. We to say we were feeling uninterested would be a compliment to how gloriously, you know, perplexed we were at how we were going to find new things to say about the same Ronda Rousey experience. But Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair pulled it out of the bag in this I quit match. Fans were really into it. Um, it. I felt like it went by quite quickly and it was almost 17 minutes and Ronda does get the win. The crowd were really into the win. Um, what did you make of this performance? I mean, it's nice to have something nice to say, finally, about this feud. It's nice to be nice. That's <laughs> what this force I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was um, it was the best thing Ronda's done since she returned. Um, I'm not going to make a cheap comment now. It's I let other people think that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, Charlotte Flair. I mean, the robe when she came out. I mean, what a robe. I mean, there probably have been better robes in wrestling history, but that was a robe. I mean, what? Did you a notice bush. when she was? Did you notice when she was coming out to the ring? And she was near the, she was walking down and she was almost at the, the steps and she looked at the camera and just winked. And you thought, that's a star. That's somebody who knows what they're doing. I Absolutely. Mean, I mean, she just looked like a million bucks. I mean, I don't know what her, her clothing budget is, but it's enormous. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in wrestling are looking at that and they're feeling very small. You know, they're in awe of Charlotte Flair's, you know, wardrobe budget. Um, and, you know, I thought she really did very well here with Ronda. I thought Ronda did well also. I think, it helped. I think they were, I think it was almost as if they maybe got together and watched their Survivor Series 2018 match and reminded themselves of what they were capable of once and why couldn't they try and replicate that? Or, you know, I don't think they quite reached those tights here but I mean they, they came pretty close I, I feel um, I mean using the kendo sticks Rousey destroyed two kendo sticks on Charlotte's torso um, they fought into the crowd um, Flair took over then she fled, fled from Ro Rousey when Rousey grabbed a chair um, back in the ring Rousey had like an upside down armbar on Charlotte um, as Charlotte was in the ring. Rousey was like hanging from the ropes, almost a, like an armbar equivalent of the old ring post figure four, sort of very similar to that thing that Bret Hart used to do. Um, and then in the end, uh, Rousey forced Charlotte Flair to say, I quit with an armbar whilst, you know, which was, you know, jazzed up with the with the chair. I'm not really sure what difference the chair made, but there was a chair there anyway, and it made it look more devastating that there was a chair in the way when uh, Rousey uh, cranked on the pressure on the armbar. I've got to say, it really did look like she was applying the pressure on that cross-arm lock armbar, whatever you want to call it. And, um, I mean, I think Charlotte's selling here was totally convincing, I think even someone who detests pro wrestling would probably look at that and think, you know what, that looks like it really hurts. I think the biggest critic of pro wrestling would have to give that finish some respect because it did look like it hurt like hell. And I think it needed to as well for Charlotte Flair to say the words I quit and also for the storyline injury angle that they informed us of later on the broadcast, later on the on the event. Yeah, so, she's going to have to get married to Andrade, so she's going to be off for most of the summer. Um, and this is how this is how you put someone over on the way out. Yeah, I mean Charlotte. I mean Charlotte Flair gets a lot of criticism because I think people kind of, I you know, find her like the female Roman Reigns, but the old Roman Reigns comparison. But I mean. Yeah, she did, she did during some of the COVID era really dip in quality, but I mean, you can't fault her on this night. She did everything she could to make Ronda Rousey look like a superstar. Yeah, I mean, it felt like a it felt like a proper title match. It was tough. It was heated. There was lots of elements to it. You know, I think they all were woven together very well. I mean, you know, Rhonda's admitted in that interview, you can read about it in the next issue of the magazine, that she can't remember things in matches and mm -hmm. that she's totally reliant on her opponents to basically tell her what to do throughout the match. So there is always some humour in that now that Rhonda's come clean 
about your <laughs> inability to remember sequences and spots and what they're going to do next. Uh, but I thought Charlotte did. Uh, yeah, this was this was first rate. This was um, you know this was a pretty amazing performance here. And when you look at what she did in the end, as you just said, Kenny, for Rousey on her way out, you know, obviously not way out permanently, but tempor temporary, you know, hiatus that she's taking, as explained by this storyline, a broken arm injury. They said later that she suffered a fracture of the radius, which is broken arm. That's obviously not true. It's a storyline. But I mean, just, you know, this is something that will be brought up repeatedly on commentary. You know, and it's something that when Charlotte returns, it'll be acknowledged and it'll be, you know, I'll have to work it into the storyline. And, um, you know, Ronda also, most importantly, of all, well, not most importantly, I think most important was the fact that Ronda won and won convincingly in a match that was, was, was uh, you know, was very believable. Um, I, think, I thought Ronda looked energised. You know, that indifference, that apathy that we've been banging on about for weeks, it was, um, it was happily, it was absent. She seemed like somebody who wanted to be there and somebody who was elated that she won the title. So it was a win-win. It was um, quite an achievement, really, what they managed to do in that one, in that one match. Uh, then in the death spot, we had Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin with Madcap Moss getting the win in just under 10 minutes. I mean, the crowd just did not care about this one, did they? No, they didn't, but this was a buffer match. This was inserted here because they, you know, WWE knew that this was high drama in Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey. They knew it was going to be, um, you know, an emotional match and that the audience would be drained after that one. So they deliberately inserted Moss versus Corbin to give people a chance to sort of, it was kind of a breather match, a buffer match. It was a, it was an anti-fatigue match, Kenny. It was to give people time to sort of, you know, sort themselves out before the main event so they would be excited about that again to go and get a drink, you know, go and, you know, use the facilities, you know, whatever. You know, you need these matches on a show to give people a chance to sort of, you know, recover from what they've just seen. A recovery match, Kenny, that's what it was. But, I mean, it was, I mean, Moss Corbin, I mean, hopefully that's it now. I don't know. I mean, I've said it loads of times that they just need to change Moss's appearance. He's wearing those braces and those ridiculous shorts. No one's going to take him seriously while he's presented like that. I think he just need to change his appearance, maybe even change his name. But if they want him to be a serious player, they cannot continue to present him as Madcap Moss in that getup. It's not going to work. Uh, well, then it's time for the main event, which, I mean, was uh, so the main event was obviously Roman Reigns and the Usos against Drew McIntyre and RK Bro. Um, you know, they, they'd kind of promoted that it was going to be the tag team unification match, then it was changed to the six man. Um, and then I mean, a lot of people were kind of saying maybe this is a match where Drew's going to pin Roman as some sort of you know, he can do it to build up for one of the later matches, but it ended up just being a, a kind of great house show main event in some ways, in terms of there's not really a lot of storyline stuff in it. Uh, the Bloodline get the big win with uh, Reigns pinning Riddle in the end. What did you make of this as the main event? And is there anything that you can glean from this that could be what we're, what we're going to set up next? Yes, I, I think, yeah, actually, I know what you mean. I think we were both, um, I think we both suggested last week that maybe Drew would score the pin to set up a match with Roman Reigns. Mm -hmm. And in hindsight, I'm glad he didn't because I want to see that match in Cardiff and not before. Um, and if Drew would pin Reigns here, then that would have necessitated a Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns match at Hell in a Cell on Money in the Bank. And as I've just said, I want, it, I want that to take place in, in Cardiff. So it was the right decision not to have Drew score the pin on Roman. What I took from this is that we're going to have a Roman Reigns-Randy Orton match, possibly at SummerSlam. I think Orton right now is the hottest he's ever been. I think there'd actually be a lot of support for him winning both belts. I think that would tear the house down if he were to win Universal and WWE titles um, at SummerSlam or Money in the Bank. I think there's a lot of support for that. I think what's going to happen is we're going to have Reigns, Orton. I'm not sure if Orton is going to, 
dethrone reigns? Probably not. But if it were to happen, it, it, I, I don't. I think people would be would be ecstatic. But I think that's going to lead to maybe some sort of injury angle later in the in the year with reigns destroying Orton and then riddles then basically sets his sights on Reigns, potentially leading to a big match between Reigns and Riddle, maybe Royal Rumble. But I think that's a long-term plan. So it seemed to me like that was the reason why Riddle was the designated jobber, because at this moment in time, he's the one who, he was the one and is the one who was the most expendable of the three people on the Babyface team. So he was the one who should have done the job specifically for the reasons that I've just mentioned, that I think it'd be Orton, Reigns in the summer, and then I think it'll be Reigns, Drew in Cardiff. So I think they set all that up quite well here, quite subtly, but quite well. I really like the spot uh, near the beginning of the match when Drew demanded that Roman Reigns tag in, and he eventually did, and then just circled Drew and then tagged out and said that he was the shot caller. And I just thought, Reigns got more heat for that than most wrestlers get for, you know, beating someone up for 15 minutes. You know what I mean? It was just, <laughs> I mean, it was just a masterful little old school spot. that was just so well done with the expressions and Drew sold it so well, the disappointment that he wasn't going to be able to lay his uh, mitts on Roman. And then, of course, later on, they did uh, go one-on-one. I mean, at one point... Um, Drew nailed Reigns with a claymore as Reigns, you know, after Reigns had been showboating. Um, Drew didn't get to make the cover on Reigns. Reigns rolled out of the ring. But, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff going on towards the end of this match. I mean, it was a really big finish. with all sorts of big moves in the ring and out. Um, you know, huge saves and, again, high drama like uh, Charlotte Flair versus Ronda Rousey. And I think... Probably, I would say this was slightly better than the opener. Um, I would say this was the best match of the night. Um, in some ways, I can understand why people were expecting more from it and some, you know, historic pinfall or, you know, something that would feel groundbreaking. And in fact, I think I suggested on the podcast last week that that's what should <laughs> take place. But now in retrospect, I'm glad it didn't for all the reasons I've already explained. So I think, yeah, I think it was very well put together. There's a lot of subtle elements of this that are going to set things up in future. Um, and, um, you know, Reigns scoring the pin, you could say that he didn't need the pin, and of course he didn't. But I think it will all make sense at a later date why this happened. And I think this sets up Orton and Drew McIntyre for, versus Roman Reigns in big matches later this year. So, yeah, I enjoyed it and... And um, I think it was very well put together on the night and also in terms of what's going to happen next. What did you think, Kenny? Yeah, you know, I mean, the match was great. The match was, was, was great. But, I mean, I did kind of feel a little bit like we know we're in the holding pattern until something's going to happen. So that was, you know, difficult. Because in, in a main event, you're used to a WWE main event being like the main event. You know, there's lot stuff on the line or whatever but no I mean I think I think Orton's probably a good idea for them to have him be one of the challengers to go with Roman it feels like Cody's maybe going to be a longer term guy for for Roman and not one that you're going to get you know next month or anything uh Lashley obviously it doesn't seem like he's in contention anymore so Randy Orton if he's popular why not go for it and put him in one of the big stadium matches uh and also if that means RK bro stick together for longer I'm all for it um, yeah, yeah, and and wasn't it? I mean, we'll, I mean, we might as well just segue straight into Raw. Yeah, let's just go straight into the opening segment of Raw. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it bizarre in the opening segment of Raw that Randy Orton and Riddle then brought up the unification match, and they're going to SmackDown this Friday to apparently demand it, so that might now be back on again. Yeah, because there was there was a story that came out last week that the the title unification match was never going to happen. It was just a way to get to the six man. Um, but now on Raw, they've kind of brought it up. So, I mean, I don't know if WWE did always have it in the plans. Maybe they're reacting to the fan desire for the unification or that story to continue. Or or maybe it's just a way to keep Orton around Roman Reigns to get to where you were saying they need, they're going to get to with the Orton and Roman. Because if they're on different shows, how do you get there? Maybe the unification idea is a way to have them be around each other more. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, we'll see. So, I mean, they, they, they had a fun opening promo, RK Bro. Fans are super into them. Like you say, they're calling for the title unification. They're going to go to SmackDown on Friday. But we have RK Bro facing off against the Street Profits. Um, and they were able to retain their titles in a 10-minute match. Um, it didn't go to, you know, full gear. But, I mean, I thought these guys had a good match. You know they're capable of having a better one if they were given more time. But I thought for 10 minutes, they, they did all they could. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, <laughs> Riddle, you know, they had, they had, they had some chit-chat prior to the match. Street Profits came out. They were kind of playing heel or tweener and saying that, oh, tough loss last night, lads. Um, and Profits were complaining that Orton and Riddle were overlooking them because they were, you know, just talking about confronting Jimmy and Jay and setting up a title unification match. Should mention this this was a, a raw tag team title defense here between RK Braun Street Profits. And, uh, you know, Riddle had a great line there. It's the line that people have been wanting him to say for so long. He's probably said it on numerous house shows, but it's still got a pop. And he said to uh, Street Profits, RK Bro 420 says, we just smoked your asses. <laughs> so, you know, people were amused by that one. And you're right, it was a good match. It felt like they could have done so much more. I mean, I imagine they're saving that for... Some type of, I mean, at some point, street profits have got to have their day in the sun. I mean, I'm sure it'll be right after Orton and Riddle split or lose the belts or whatever. I'm not sure how it's all going to play out. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to Jimmy and Jay becoming double champs and then street profits defeating Jimmy and Jay to become double champs. I think that would be bigger for them mm-hmm. if they were to win, you know, both type, both sets of tag team belts. Uh, rather than, you know, holding the belts briefly and then, you know, dropping them back to Randy Orton and really winning them and then dropping them to Jimmy and Jay. I don't really think that's going to be the best thing for their um, yeah careers in terms of growth. So I think, you know, them not being Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins, not being um, emphasised, accentuated right now, I think it's probably the best move for them in the long run. But yeah, really good opening to the show. And um, curious to see what happens on SmackDown this Friday. Uh, we also had the kind of mission statement from Edge about the Judgment Day faction and Rhea Ripley being a part of it. I did have to laugh when um, Edge said um, about Liv Morgan, and he said that he'd spoke to Rhea Ripley about how Liv Morgan was holding her back, and he said to the crowd, I'm the reason your favourite tag team split up. I mean, there's hyperbole, but I, mean, I don't know if Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley were our favourite tag team. Um, he took a bit of creative license there, but um, he, I mean, uh, or, or, or alternatively, you know, he should have taken some creative license when that line was uh, handed to him, written on a piece of paper, and said, "Hold on, I can't say this out loud. Yeah, I cannot say these words out loud. They're going to rinse me for this one. Morgan or anyone's favorite tag team." Um, which leads us to Rhea and Lev having a match, which only went about five and a half minutes, and Rhea gets the decisive win. Then uh, Ripley's kind of reapplies her her submission. This leads to Balor and AJ coming out. So, I mean, it seems that we're going to be getting a a six-person tag with uh, Judgment Day against Liv Morgan, AJ Styles, and Balor. So hopefully that will, you know, Liv Morgan will get a little bit of a chance to shine in that. But I thought this was a decent way to, you know, this was the night that Rhea Ripley needed to be sort of cemented as her new character. Yeah, she did. I mean, I mean, they were in a tough spot because there was there was a, quite a few DQ finishes on the show, and they probably felt like they couldn't do another one. I didn't like the way in which the Ripley defeated Morgan, so it, you know, fairly easily by tap out, and then applied the submission hold again after the match, and Morgan's tapping out like she's not a star or never will be a star. So I didn't really like that, but by the you know, on the on the flip side to that, of course, Rhea Ripley's had just joined the Judgment Day, and she needed a strong show in here. So, you know, you can't achieve everything. You can't serve every master or mistress in a match. Um, so, I understood. I understand that really what happened in a sense needed to happen, and there really had to be a reason after the match for Finn Balor and AJ Styles to come out. Um, so your Rhea Ripley punishing Liv Morgan was it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it does seem like Balor versus Damian Priest, 
That ended in a DQ when uh, Edge attacked Balor, and then Edge and Priest beat down Balor and Styles afterwards. So yeah, it does feel like we're going to get, you know, Edge and Priest and Ripley versus Balor, Styles and Liv Morgan. Um, do you think they'll wait until Hell in a Cell for that? I mean, maybe not. I mean, Edge doesn't normally wrestle on TV, does he? No, I mean, I feel, I feel like they should wait for the pay-per-view because it'd be good for the rest of them to be in, in what could be perceived as a, bit, a bigger match. And also, if we're going to have Hell in a Cell singles matches, at least this will be something to stand out a little bit different. So I hope they yeah. do keep it to the pay-per-view. Also, we yeah. should mention Edge's new hairstyle. Um, much better. He looks much better with the new hair than he did with the, you know, you saw it, uh, you, I was going to say you saw it Judgment Day, you saw it Backlash at certain points, he looked gubbed and the hair's just like everywhere. So <laughs> I think it's cleaner look for him. It is. It's a bit of a theory do, isn't it? A bit of a theory hairdo. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, maybe you thought, well, Mustafa Ali's back. He's got that long hair. You know, it's time for a change. I need, my, I need to look like theory. You know, he's going to star with the future. You know, I need to look like him. And then maybe people will think I'm going to make a huge comeback. But no, I think he felt like the right move to change his hair and change his appearance. And, um, you know, I think, I, think, I think they've said that there's potentially going to be more recruits to the Judgment Day. I mean, maybe Champa could join if they don't completely give up on Champa in the next couple of weeks. I think that would be a good move for Champa. Um, I'm not sure who else will join, if anyone. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say about all this. There's lots happened here. And I think most of it, apart from Morgan losing, I think was constructive. So um, hopefully it will lead to this six-person match at Hell in a Cell on June 5th. Uh, Sonia Deville, her career as an official came to an end on Raw last night. Adam Pearce has relieved her of her duties because obviously she was abusing her power. So instead, she's going to wrestle on the show and her opponent was the returning Alexa Bliss, who got a welcome back chant from the crowd. She seems to have defended herself is that the best way to put it although she still we should say that she was still carting around lily the doll yeah she's still carrying around that doll for for whom whoever made it should be fired um but uh yes yeah, so i mean i i guess maybe maybe they've sold well or something maybe that's why maybe they're just keeping it for, for that reason but alexa's back and she manages to uh put put alexa down um and get the win in under a minute um, 41 seconds I timed it yeah I told Sonia that her contract as, a, as an official had been terminated due to her abuse of power and then yeah Alexa Bliss returned and uh, hit like a DDT and then the um, twisted Bliss splash for the pin in 41 seconds and DeVille was in tears at ringside maybe she thinks She's going to get fired on Thursday. Tuesday, Thursday or Friday, isn't it, that um, WWE fires people, Kenny? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a shit right end of the weekend as well. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I don't know whether I'm happy to see Alexa Bliss back or not. I mean, at least she's not in therapy. At least she's not doing, you know, the swing's not there. You know, Alexa's playground's long gone. That's been taken to the city dump or you know, wherever <laughs> your WWE warehouse and you know it'll only be it'll be just wheeled out once a year at access uh, so <laughs> that's the only time I want to see that again um, so we'll see what happens with Alexa I mean feels to I mean she's done a lot of different things over the last like year plus 18 months and most of them have been bad, and I kind of feel like I want to give her a chance to redeem herself, but I'm not convinced that she's really that motivated to do it. Um, and like this 41-second match, I realised she wasn't the one who booked it, and I'm sure if Sonia had been wielding the pencil, the match would have lasted a lot longer than 41 seconds. Mm-hmm. Bad night for her. She lost her job as an official and then did the job in 41 seconds in a essentially worthless match. Um, yeah, let's just see what happens with Alexa. You know, I, I, I'm concerned, Kenny. I'm, a, I'm concerned about what might happen. But uh, let's give her a chance to, to show us that she deserves to be there and she can provide some entertainment and value for money. 
Indeed. Well, listen, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop our chat on Raw there and we'll pick up the rest of it on Power Slam on Thursday because there's a lot on Raw that we need to talk about still at this point. And I told Finn off air, my mom has retired today, so I need to go and buy her flowers. And I don't want to rush us through the last few bits that we've got to talk about. So if that's okay with you, Finn, we can talk about Ken Owens, his appearance on Raw. We could talk about Cody's uh, US title shot. And we can talk about uh, the main event with um, Bianca Belair and Asuka. Lots more. Sure, no chat. problem at all, Kenny. Um, and, you know, it's a good sign that Raw's got so much on it that we want to give it more time and discussion. So that's a good it, sign. It absolutely is. There was a time when we were just like, right, well, <laughs> what happened on Raw? Was there anything worth talking about? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, let's let's uh, talk about that on Thursday. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so we want to thank you all for your support. Uh, Finn mentioned earlier, he's finished his work on issue 21 of Inside the Ropes magazine, which is available for pre-order now. InsideTheRopesMagazine.com, loads of stuff in this month's issue, Triple H career retrospective, uh, Q&A, uh, a look at um, Backlash, there's uh, a second part of my interview with Ted DiBiase, there's so much in there uh, for you guys to get your hands on, so go check that out. And if you enjoy what we do in podcasts, Patreon is the best way to support us because you can get Power Slam a day early. We do an overrun. Finn does a what else is going down. And we do retro pay-per-view reviews with myself, Sondra, and Finn. We're doing Judgment Day next week. Uh, and we're Day doing Insurrection as well, aren't we? And we're doing Insurrection tomorrow. So loads of stuff coming up. So patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes if you want to support us uh, and keep, uh, keep the lights on here on the podcast front. So uh, we appreciate all your support. And uh, Finn, I look forward to our om- almost a marathon this week of podcasts that we've got to do. Indeed, yes, indeed. I haven't, I haven't started watching Insurrection 2002 yet, but I think, as I said previously, I think I'm more look- looking forward more to the review <laughs> than watching the show again. But uh, yeah, we will be discussing that tomorrow. Yeah, same, same here. Okay, so we'll be discussing that tomorrow. Hope you'll join us over there on Patreon. But thanks for all your support, and we'll talk to you soon, everybody. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.